0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, I have Nicole Wade. Nicole is an active marathoner. She just ran the 2018 Boston Marathon in a time of 3.41. She did that at the age of 40 after getting a late start in her running career and actually qualifying for the Boston Marathon in 3.35. Uh, While she might have gotten a late start in running, she's certainly made up for lost time and is, is one heck of a runner now. That's for sure. And while we talk about her running background, this episode is actually much more about Uh, The other side of her life. So she is a uh, health and wellness coach. She is a holistic health coach as well as being a RRCA certified running coach. She has a website, heartandsoul.com. That's soul, like the soul of your shoe. So S-O-L-E.com. And we talk a lot about self sabotage and self self limiting beliefs and just the challenges that people face in those regards, so we talk a little bit about her own challenges um whether that's negative self talk or uh, dietary issues and things like that uh, from her background, but we also dive into my own so uh in a in a in a big time departure from the normal format, uh, a lot of this is about me, not just Nicole. So we actually did a little mini personally counseling session in the middle of this episode where Nicole kind of flips the script and starts asking me questions. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if you like it. I do appreciate the feedback letting me know if uh, if you're a fan of this. We won't do this every episode. Lord knows. But uh, I do want to change things up every once in a while. And when I do, I love hearing what you think. So, let me know. I hope you like it, but let me know even if you don't. So, uh, with that being said, I'm sure you'll like what Nicole has to say in this episode because she is not only one heck of a runner, but a great person as well. So, here is my interview an interview with Nicole Wade. Hello, Nicole, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm well. You have been like a little support system for me the past couple days, which I really appreciate. Um, just to put that into context. I started doing um, a friend of mine um, for Track Club, babe. Uh, Kim started doing a monthly no sugar April and then rolled it into May. And that was a little too hard for me. So I decided, all right, I'm going to give this to with No sugary foods and no foods with sugar added. Basically meaning I wasn't no carb, but kind of low carb. And uh, I would have fruit or whatever, but I wasn't going to have like a Cliff Bar um, and anything significantly um, even more sugary. And you've been kind of there with me through my IG stories and helping me along. So I appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Well, see, this is... um. One of those things where you've actually learned from experience, right? This is this is sort of something you've uh, you've already gone through.
1: I have gone through this, and I've lived to tell the tale.
0: It's amazing. I don't know if I'm going to live through it. I have.
1: You're
0: going to make I've, it. I'm, I'm 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 literally I'm I'm under the weather during this podcast. I'm playing injured right now oh, on no. this show. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I mean, not not literally injured. I don't have a sprained ankle, but I tell you what. So I'm so I started doing this yesterday morning. And I'm a straight up sugar addict. There's really no other way to put it, frankly. And I have an unbelievable headache right now, not having this sugar. It is amazing to me. Is this something that you went through too?
1: Yeah. So first of all, um, I'm sorry that you're going through this. Uh, I just wanted to say that. And, um, there's life after this.
0: <laughs> well, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you in the throes of it. I wanted to like yeah. have like that in the moment yeah. I'm experiencing it and you're going to like, give me the lowdown on what this is all about.
1: Yeah. So sugar addiction is real and, uh, where it comes, we want to unpack some of that.
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay, cool. So, um, I think there's, a, there's often a very emotional response to sugar in general, right? So when people talk about quitting sugar, and by the way, I just want to preface this by saying never let perfection get in the way of good, right? So like we're not looking for 100% compliance. No one says you can never have chocolate again. But really, if you start to identify, well, this is a habit or a behavior that I'm engaging in that might not be serving me well... And there's something i want to do about it that's this opportunity so all that said um when people talk about quitting sugar it's usually like no i could never i never want to that sounds terrible i love sugar and it's sometimes related to either happy memories right uh reward systems things like that so so really um it's a hard thing to quit and it it releases um, serotonin in your brain and everybody wants to feel good.
0: So it's not just about the glucose. There's much more to it than that.
1: Yeah. There's an, there's a strong emotional component. I mean, pull 10 people on the street and I think you might hear from a lot of people about what sugar means to them.
0: Yeah. Well, as a parent, I can like see it developing in my own kids to my horror. And yet at the same time, like, it kind of makes me feel good because I know it's like there's foods that they like, they like dessert. And frankly, it's a way for me to get them to eat their dinner. Sure. It's like it, like, it like hijacks the whole, like we should eat well thing. Cause the only way I can get them to eat well is to promise them dessert if they eat well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is common for most families. Most people. Yeah. Humans want to feel good. We're genetically designed this way, you know, get those calories. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so- just a little backstory on my end, so I am one of those people who, if they're at their office, they eat all the candy okay. so all the all the little candy bowls and all the desks we have a little kitchenette in our office, and my God, today was like a bounty like I've never seen before. It was like like high end donuts I love I love any kind of donut mm-hmm. But these were like those, like the $3 donuts were in there for Lord knows what reason. Candy bars, M&Ms, cupcakes. I don't know what was going on this weekend with my coworkers, but they brought it all uh, today. So, so, I mean, obviously I love all of that, but even back when I was in high school, so I would have, we usually had the late night practice for my varsity basketball team. So we would practice from seven to nine and sometimes even eight to ten. And uh, for a high school schedule, which is always pretty nuts. So I would come home and I would probably drink like 20 to 30 ounces of juice after practice. Not like not Gatorade, just like, you know, like orange juice or like V8 splash or something like that. It's like I've always been very, very heavy on the sugar. And it's amazing to me how much like even like the little things – like I just crave it so bad right now. It's like mm-hmm. when when you gave up sugar, I know you did it for a very different reason. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised by how much you craved it?
1: Yeah, I was actually more surprised. Um, so do you want me to get into the little background on why I? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I, uh, I have a heavy migraine history background, um, suffered from migraines for about 30 years, which is most of my life, right? I'm, I'll be 41 in July and I had about 15 to 20 migraines a month. Oh my. So if we're, we're talking at some point, they just kind of dubbed this chronic pain and we just manage the chronic pain. Uh, so I ended up with a new neurologist. Uh, she's amazing, amazing. Um, anyway, so she, she had me do a couple of things, but one of the things she wanted me to do was keep a food diary and I thought, yeah, my diet's pretty good. I mean, pretty good, right, at the time. And uh, I thought, well, there'll be nothing to see here. And she kind of looked it over and she said, have you thought about dropping the sugar? And I thought, well, what is she talking about? What sugar? Where? And I didn't realize how much I was consuming until I started writing it down and sort of taking uh, a closer lens to my own habits. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I don't want to give up these things i don't want to give up chocolate i i can't do that forever that's not sustainable so what and,
0: sugar were you eating so you, oh, you make like you were surprised that she would identify that so what, yeah. what were some of the ways you were consuming sugar
1: so in addition to fruits i was also like just handfuls of candy whenever i felt like it right i was justifying it by saying well i run so it must be fine it's gonna be fine right there like, you go have, that's like, like
0: that that's like the magic that's like right. the magic line in my
1: arsenal right so it must be okay <laughs> i'll run it i'll burn it off later. And I I think that I thought, well, you know, BMI is okay. And I felt just about okay, except for the fact that I was in pain every day. Um, So it would be like just chocolate or like, oh, I don't know, some dairy-free ice cream or whatever. And I I didn't think about adding it all up. And so I kind of, I'm not going to lie, I kicked and screamed a bit. I said, no, I'm not complying with this. I'm not doing it. At some point, though, I thought, well, this is, let's just try this crazy thing. And what happened was we went from 15 to 20 migraines a month to almost zero.
0: <laughs> Holy cow. Like wh- what,
1: yeah. what an yeah. incredible,
0: that, that's, just, that's amazing to me because yeah. this is coming from a neurologist. This isn't coming from a nutritionist.
1: Right. But I mean, my neurologist is pretty great. Okay. Um, All right. I'm Emily Coxon, uh, if anybody's in the Boston area, so she's great. Uh, anyway, so she she suggested this, we did this and we we made some other modifications in terms of like stress management, things like that. So we're treating this in a few holistic ways. Um, I definitely do have a prescription for tryptin, um when I do have a migraine, but I would say that, you know, to say that we're in the zero to two range a month, maybe at the maximum, there's some months I get just kind of skate by with nothing. And sometimes, you know, there's, there's a couple, but nothing. It it is like every day of my life is like that first day in spring when you don't need your jacket. (laughs) Every single day of my life is like that. And we have been like this for two years.
0: So when you were experiencing your migraines, did you just assume that you were going to get one every day?
1: Oh yeah. I was in so much pain that now when I get one, I wonder how I ever function. Like I can't. I'm like flabbergasted that this is something that happened to me. I thought I was going to be in pain forever.
0: That's that's so hard because especially if people aren't familiar with migraines, it's something that is very hard to kind of get across to other people who don't experience them. And I say this as somebody who's never had one. My mom would get migraines fairly consistently so i would see the debilitating effect but it's so hard to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes if you've never experienced it sure that's yeah, for sure
1: and that. yeah
0: and like so but this isn't the first time that you've addressed diet in your life i know you've been pretty open about the fact that you, you know, 20 years ago that you were fighting a de- an eating disorder so mm-hmm. how has your diet or just how you've approached eating changed over the last 20 years? Has it been pretty consistent or there's kind of like highs and lows?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. Thank you for asking. Uh, So I would say that um, in my early twenties, it was really great amount of stress. And I think that eating disorders for lots of people aren't always just about food. It's about control. And for me, you know, sort of being this overly type a perfectionist leaning person, Definitely something I am open about as well. Uh, I love to follow a rule. Give me rules. I'll, I'll, I'll nail them. Um, you know, I was kind of always looking around for permission. And this was one of these things that was like, well, I control this, right, in my early 20s. And um, when I went through recovery, um, I did outpatient recovery, not inpatient recovery, just for transparency purposes. And, uh, you know, I, I gained weight back, all of it back, and then just kept going. I, I couldn't seem to find, well, now I was at a healthy weight, but my habits were a mess because I couldn't figure out, was I hungry? Was I full? What did I want to eat? How do I fuel myself? So my self-care habits, you know, when I was 23, 24 were, were kind of a mess. And so, um, you know, my migraines at that time were off the charts. And to say that, like, oh, I would sometimes eat a package of Twizzlers for lunch. Yeah, that's a true statement. I did. And I wonder, I look back and I think, "Whoa, what the heck were you thinking, girl? But, but really, it seemed normal to me. I, I don't know why. It just seemed normal and okay.
0: Did you worry about putting limits on yourself from a dietary perspective because you were worried about backsliding?
1: No, I wasn't, actually. And that's the crazy thing is because I got so much support in, like, you look good, you look better, you look healthy, you seem well. Um, that I just figured, well, I'll just avoid mirrors, I'll avoid scales, I'll avoid photos, right? And I figured if I was at least not not eating, right, I was eating again, it, it should be okay. And the truth of the matter was, I was never I, I, it took me a really long time to figure out what feels good in my body. How does my body want to move? How does it want to be nourished? And so I think I spent the bulk of my 30s sort of untangling what that meant.
0: And there's two layers to that, at least for me. There's like the layer of what I like eating in the moment, mm-hmm. and there's what I'm glad I ate twenty minutes later. Sure, you know, it's like in the yeah. moment, it's like, man, that Whopper with cheese is awesome.
1: Like it doesn't,
0: <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'll eat the right Twix and the left Twix. It's fine, I'll take it all down. Um, whereas, uh, shout out to my friend Karen Howe on that one. Um, and but at the at the at the same time. Yeah, I interviewed uh, a guy named Ralph Peterson a couple months ago, and he had a great line. He's like, you know, the one thing I always remind myself is 10 minutes after I ate, it doesn't matter what I ate. I no longer taste it anymore, and all I can feel is either the happiness or regret that accompanied whatever I chose to eat 10 minutes ago. Like the taste is no longer there. I don't care whether it was a good-tasting thing or a bad-tasting thing it's all gone all but 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 the but the feeling of the meal persists
1: yeah and you know that that uh, is the building blocks for your body right so what you put in is your fuel so you're putting a 93 octane or what, what are you fueling it with i think that's the bigger question
0: yeah so, so like i feel like i've been fueling my gas tank with goofy gas <laughs> Which is like basically a play on my uh <laughs> my my kids watch Mickey's the character Goofy, like you know, he has a car and he'll throw like, you know, Lord knows what in there. Basically all different kinds of like bad junk food and crazy foods and things like that. And his car doesn't work very well. And that I think is a great mirror onto how my body's been working. Um so I've had, I've kinda of gone up and down too. So okay. when I think it was when Born to Run came out. For a lot of people, that was like the high moment for minimalist shoes and kind of started the revolution towards that and forefoot, forefoot, midfoot running and all that. But I took even more from the dietary perspective on that. I started changing the way I ate and then I, I ate well, but then I backslid into my normal like all sugar, all the time, marathon training, uh, where I actually gained weight in both marathon cycles that I ran because I just, I gave myself no limits yep. for food. Um, and then again, a couple of years ago, I read another Chris McDougal book. I read other books, not just Chris (laughs) McDougal, but I will highlight these two, um, where he, he talked, uh, basically there's one book that, that talks a lot about Phil Maffetone and going low carb and a two week cleanse of no carbs and then kind of resetting and then introducing carbs one by one to figure out which one or which ones feel good in your body. So for me, Again, that, that two-week period sucked. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Uh, but then it worked out pretty well. But again, I backslid. And for me, it's been this constant theme, which I think is something that you've experienced as well and, and manifests itself in different ways for me. I'm talking a lot more in this podcast than other ones, but I feel like this is something that you've experienced as well. It's the self-sabotage that for me manifests itself most often, I think, with diet and with sleep. And you've talked about self-sabotage too. Where where has it most affected you in your life?
1: Ooh, ooh, I love to talk about self-sabotage because this is the the most important thing in self-care, right, and goal setting. Uh, I would say that for me it is negative self-talk. Yeah, just um, really just not good enough, not – not anything enough. Not enough, I think, has been my, a theme and something that I've had to work through really hard. I feel like it doesn't matter if I'm giving 110%. There's a part of me that feels like that's not enough.
0: Now, what areas of your life are you more likely to be self-critical in?
1: Um, Oh my goodness. Um, I can't think of an area that I'm not self-critical that I've had and haven't had to overcome that. Um, I would say let's, let's go with running though, because this is related. Uh, I would say that, yeah, and everything from education to, to running, but really I came to running much later in life or I, I feel like later in life and I didn't even really get serious about it for a while. I kind of, I really did this kind of like, oh, you know, my, my way to sort of sort of understand my journey was to say, well, I started late, I'm the back of the pack runner, I make fast runners look better, Um, sort of that kind of thing. Don't take my goals too seriously, because if you don't take them too seriously, kind of can't be very disappointed. And uh, and I think that's really where I lived for a very long time.
0: But yet you also describe yourself as very type A. Yeah, which most most people who are type a are very hard drivers.
1: Yeah. So did you have
0: other areas in your life where you were hard driving?
1: Yeah, and I and just to back up for a second. I think that the only way to to for me to square that with like, well, I enjoy running, but I'm not very good at it was just sort of like, make fun of myself in the process. Like, oh, not really good. So it kind of gives me an out. Like, I don't have to be really good at this thing, because like, I'm not good at it. And then you, it's a self fulfilling prophecy.
0: Oh, I see. Right. Exactly. So there's no middle ground. It's like the kids, it's like, I, the the first thing that popped into my head from a comparison standpoint is like when you're, you know, a teenager or middle school where like, you don't want to, you don't want to make it look like you're trying because you might fail. Right. (laughs) Like in school, right. Like if you you tell people you studied for a test, that was almost like a sign of weakness. Even (laughs) if you did study, you you didn't tell anybody you studied. Um, (laughs) Or you see that sometimes with guys, um, and, and maybe girls too, but I'm more familiar with guys on this on this topic. That you'll see guys say like, "Oh, I don't really lift," but they have like great bodies. Yes. <laughs> or like you see like, "Oh no, I don't really diet. It's, it's just natural." Where it's like, "Yeah, yeah, you probably do. You probably lift. You probably diet. You know." But it's like a way of saying like, "Hey, you know, like if this were to go bad, the the, the excuse is already built in."
1: Oh, yeah, there's like you know you can see your shoes and the exit at the same time. you're like i will I will leave right here, yep, exactly,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, sorry about that. um mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting, so at what point did you that that was something that was holding you back and not just what everybody does?
1: I think at some point I had to articulate a goal. I had to say either. I'm in or I'm out. And there was something in the back of my head that said, I, I really want to be better at this because I know that I can be better at this. And I love this. I love running so much uh, that I, you know, got my RCA certification. Uh, I, I love to work with athletes. I love to work on goal setting, uh, something I'm super interested in. And I thought, wh- why not me? Why am I not doing this? What, what's going on here? So I think it took some years to unpack a lot of what was in there for me. And, uh, and then I just started saying, okay, well, your goals are, you're allowed to take this seriously. You're allowed to be passionate about this and you're allowed to fail. And I think um, knowing that it's okay not to be the best at this, but to be working towards this is okay. And I, I think just like having some self-compassion was important in the process and uh and then just kind of chunking it up into smaller more manageable goals and going for it.
0: So how do you work on that? So did you did you focus on like meditation, journaling, just kind of always being aware of your thoughts like how, how do you actually improve the self-sabotaging nature and for you being the negative self-talk?
1: Yeah, so several ways. Um, definitely journaling. So I have a couple of methods for this. One, I keep a goals journal and I find that that's really helpful. And it's something that I I would say that I I go in and out of. So when I first started keeping it, I would sort of write down all the goals and then all the steps that I needed to break the goals down into smaller pieces. Um, So for example, like if I needed help with something, I would say, okay, well, this week I'm going to reach out to these people ask these questions. See how they did it. Do some research, whatever. And then next week, I'd have to open this up and look at it again. Be accountable. Say, okay, what did you do in the last week to move forward? How are we moving forward? And and sometimes there would be kind of no progress. And then sometimes I say, okay, we have to really have to do this, even if it's scary. And um and it is scary. Growth is is hard, and change is scary, even when it's good. Yeah. So that um, meditation has really just changed my life. I I didn't think that I would ever say that, but it, it did. And uh, now
0: what kind of meditation do you do?
1: I, you know, just basic, Not, not I don't chant nothing like that. Um, but I do like the calm app. If anyone likes that out there, um, there's, you know, time meditation, you can put on the rain in the background or a different background. It's really nice, kind of a nice way to sort of, I don't know. It's entry level meditation, in my opinion. It's,
0: and what about meditation is helpful?
1: I think um, for me, it's sort of being in my body and quieting my mind, which sometimes feels like it's it's running in fast forward. There's, I, I'm doing a million things at once, and um, quieting that critical voice that says "not good enough, not enough." Um, you know, it's it's important to sort of find a quiet space i guess that's probably the best way to put it
0: yeah i would heard i would heard people who meditate and i'm not one of them i don't meditate um say that once you've kind of ingratiated yourself with a meditation practice that you're able to identify and kind of harness your emotional response much better than you would if you just if you weren't meditating, because it's almost like your emotional response just comes flying out as opposed to someone who's used to meditating and being self or introspective, I should say, um, mm-hmm. kind of has almost like a, a mental governor on some of their thoughts, emotions, and at least have a, little, a little, little speed bump between their head and their mouth.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a hefty mindfulness component to it. Uh, yeah, and it just allow, allows you that like, okay, yep, yeah, we can come back to this. We understand what this feels like. Yeah, I did this, and I also did um, a 12-week self-guided um, mindfulness journey, right? It was like one of these things. I bought a book. I did all the things in the book. I really liked it. I- I'll, I'll, If you want to put it in the show notes, I will get an actual title for you. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, but, um, but I-, I really enjoyed it. And one of the things, and I've talked about this several times in the past, but Uh, you know, it would have you do some kind of actions each week. So like you'd read a chapter and it would be like a chapter a week, right? And um, one of the things the book talked about was the fact that we often fail to look up, right? Like in life, we look straight ahead or we look down and there's a whole other dimension above us. And I thought, oh, isn't that funny? And so I started looking up a lot and I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much actually above me that I never noticed. Just Things I didn't notice before. And it started to make me curious about what else was I missing?
0: So what about your life changed um, because of that? That, that? that I find that interesting because it kind of speaks to like this idea of kind of hidden potential that you have, which is far different than just kind of overcoming a weakness. This is like a whole different genre of, of, se- of self-development. So what, what about you or your life started to change in a positive way, and how you were leading your life after you started kind of having this paradigm shift with how you viewed the world?
1: I would say that for me, intuitive everything has been important intuitive living, int- intuitive eating, intuitive shoe shopping. I'm not kidding <laughs> on that. <laughs> I buy things just on feeling alone. Um, so I think that um, going with my gut feeling and not sort of crowdsourcing my life has been. I think the thing that I've walked away with the, the biggest thing that I've walked away with.
0: And you kind of mentioned that in a post a couple of weeks ago, you were reflecting on something that your dad had said, I think, and you had said oh, yes. something to the effect that you'd always go to him and ask him questions. And this was, I think a little bit before, was a little before he passed. He said something to the effect yeah. of like, about um, you already have all the answers inside of you. Yeah. You don't need to ask me this anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that happened. Uh, He I, you know, I, I was definitely the kind of person who was always looking around. And it's not that I I don't ask people their opinion when I need to, I do. Um, But mostly, you know, I know what I want. But at the time, I would always be like, Hey, Dad, what do you think of this? Hey, Dad, you know, this thing happened or anything like any little thing decision making on my own was, I was terrible at second guessing myself. And, um, and one day at the end, he was just like, babe, you you have all this, you know, this. And I thought, oh, and I guess it felt a little bit like, you know, he was a bit of an anchor and I thought, well, if this goes away, then what happens? Like, what, who do I ask? Who, what, where do I go? And, uh, what I realized was that I, I didn't need to ask anybody.
0: Did you, was there also that component or like you felt like your relationship would change with your father if you weren't asking him these questions? Like somehow like he would feel like he wasn't as engaged in your life if you didn't need him as an anchor?
1: Hmm, maybe a bit, yeah. And you know, he he died soon after that. So it wasn't really an option anymore unless it was just in my head with myself in my car, right? <laughs> For some reason, I, I always want to talk to my dad when I'm driving. Um. So... Um... So, yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah. And of course, you know, I, my dad was, you know, so great and, uh, and, and I thought he knew you know, he knew everything. Right. So I wanted to tell him and ask him questions.
0: So you're, you're, um, studying to be a holistic health coach. Um, and when you are talking to your clients, mm-hmm. the people that you're working with and they're detailing kind of their self-sabotage behaviors, or you're kind of digging deep to find them on your own. What are some of the things you talk to them about? What could be the root cause of this? Or is, or, is, or is the root cause even matter? Or is it just a matter of identifying and moving forward?
1: Yeah, I love this because we're going to tie this right back into sugar and other things. So I would, the, one of the first things I, I ask right in, in the series of questions is, why is this your goal? Like, What's your goal and why is this your goal? Right? We need to identify those things first. Then we ask, how do you want to feel? And I think how you want to feel should be the overriding uh, thing, we kind of of the thing we come back to, which is, so if you said, my goal is to quit sugar, right? Or at least severely limit it or or change in some way. Great. Why do you want to do that? All right, Uh, let's do it. All right, let's do it.
0: Okay, cool. All right, so we're going to do a session right now. All right, so you're going to ask me that. So you just asked me that question. All right, so for me, I know, first of all, it's unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. Not that sugar, I know that like fruits and vegetables that have sugar are healthy. But I mean, generally speaking, if I go have a bunch of donuts or eat, you know, every time I walk by a bowl of M&Ms and eat it, that that is not healthy and that I'm often substituting that food for good food which ultimately is not only going to be bad for my body, just in how I feel. And then just like my mental, like, you know, I'll be like cursing myself for lack of willpower, but it's also like, you know, you just have that, you feel like you're like, you you identify with the idea of like, Hey man, like how come I can't like just, you know, suck it up and do this. So I'm, I keep like failing again and again on this like small little task. And it just like gets so annoying that you feel like you're repeating this self-destructive behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. So the reason that you want to quit sugar is because you, you feel it's a self-destructive behavior or you feel like you're crowding it out. You're crowding out better choices.
0: Yeah. I think a little bit of that, a little bit bit of both of those. And then also the idea that I know is, I'm sure it's affecting my running too. So you want, like, I want to be a good runner. And I know that there's, I haven't even come close to reaching my running potential. You know, and there's a myriad of reasons for that, but I know that health is one of them, or I should say dietary choices is one of them, and an easy one to fix.
1: Okay, great. So how do you, when, when you accomplish this goal of, of, you know, say we go to a 90-10 model, 90% of the time you're kind of avoiding this, this refined sugar, and 10% of the time there's, you know, whenever you decide there's a treat, there's a holiday, there's a whatever you have a little bit and you move on with your life. So if you move to sort of that kind of a model, how do you want to feel when you get to that goal? Hmm.
0: I guess there's a couple things I could say, I guess on some level, I want to feel like I'm not like a slave to like the temptation, right? Like, like right now, not just because I've given up sugar the past two days, but even like say like three days ago, like if I there I would most likely give in unless like I was at my best. Like it was like in the morning I just slept really well or whatever. Right. It's mm-hmm. so, like, I was always kind of giving it. So the idea that I'm not a slave, to that temptation, I can just like notice it and then move on. That would be, it. I'd love to feel that way. And then also just more of like a consistent high level of energy. You know what? there has been times in my life where I have eaten well and I have noticed that I've kind of like been humming along at a much like, I don't don't want to say higher frequency because that's a little too, it's not quite what I'm trying to say, but definitely like at a a much higher energy level and just not a fever pitch, but close to that. Whereas right now or when I'm eating the way I normally eat, I feel like I'm kind of like up and down. Even though I'm at, when I'm at my best, it's like not for that long. Like it's, it's I'm always on this kind of like a energetic roller coaster.
1: Okay, so I think that that after that point, right, the next thing that we would do is we would talk about what prevents you from say wanting to feel like you're. It's vibrating at a higher frequency, right? Like
0: <laughs> right? Right, which is what? like this is like sounds like I feel like now like I'm talking to Oprah because yeah. I, it's not it's not like <laughs> I would normally not like put it in those terms. But um yeah, so for me it's it's much more like short term versus long term. Okay. Like I feel like the short term of it I can get lost in it. Like I'll like drive past a drive-through and this is just sugar related. It's just like fast but like I'll like dive in But also, this is what I've noticed, too, is that, like, the more I think about, like, hey, I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z, the more I think about not doing it, the more likely I am to break that, like, momentarily. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like I'm giving myself, like, kudos for not doing it. And then I, like, then say, oh, well, now you get to reward yourself by doing it. You know what I mean? Like the more I, like the less I think about it, the better chance I have of succeeding. Whereas like the more I think about it and the more like I'll like give myself props for not like giving in, the more likely I am then to just go ahead and give in.
1: Interesting. So next question, what would you say that your top five power foods are? If I said name five foods that make you feel optimal, healthy, nourished, sustained, what would, what would you say those things would be?
0: Hmm. All right. So I don't have a lot of food diversity okay. in my life, but kind of like as a busy person, I usually just like stick to certain things, even from a good food perspective. Um, however, I'll say that eggs is definitely one of them. Okay. So what I'll, when I'm eating well, I'll like throw like chopped broccoli in a skillet, heat that up and then throw like two eggs in it and just like make a little egg scramble. So like that's always pretty good. Great. Definitely down with that. Um there's I like all kinds of fruit. I can definitely get down with fruit. Um I would say hummus. I don't know if hummus just because of because of its dietary properties, but it's usually it, it makes me feel good because I'm usually eating hummus instead of something bad. So okay. I think like by like by comparison it makes me feel good because I know like I'm not doing something I shouldn't be doing. Um hmm, that's only three though. And then normally we eat a, a fairly healthy dinner. Um, so usually involved in that, and that's usually always pretty good. And then uh, a vegetable, which is usually Brussels sprouts, corn, I guess corn is a starch, um, or broccoli. I guess that would be, I guess, maybe that's not five, but something along those lines.
1: Okay, great. So I think that that's a wonderful list. Can Wait, I- does
0: wine count? Can I count wine?
1: You can count whatever you like, whatever makes you feel (laughs) your best self, you're living your best life. These are the things you need. Yes. Count whatever you like. Um, I would say that I like to get away from calling foods good and bad, right? Because it's just a choice. So I don't want to assign like value to it. Uh, And I wouldn't want you to feel bad about it either. Um, So I would say that the thing that I usually say is let's lead with the nourishing food. Let's make sure that you're hitting the things that make you feel optimal as much as you like, right? So you get the broccoli, the eggs, um, your fruit that you like, the healthy dinner stuff, corn's fine. Yeah, whatever makes you feel your best self, do that. And then get kind of get back to how do you want to feel? So I think that there's a moment that you have when you are going to make a decision about putting more sugar into your body where you can pause, you, you have that option to pause and just say, do I want this? Is this what I need right now? And how do I want to feel? So I think kind of circling back and saying, how do I want to feel? What is the goal? Why is it the goal? Does this support the goal? And if it doesn't support the goal, that's self-sabotage.
0: Right. I mean, by definition,
1: yeah. Right. That, yeah. That,
0: that makes a lot of sense. So do you, do you do that? So here not, now I'm asking you a question. Sorry about this. Um, <laughs> so do you feel like you still do that on a day-to-day perspective or are you so ingrained with your positive habits that you can kind of go more on autopilot and still get, um, to, to, to use your words to kind of still, still be your best self without having to be constantly intros- introspective.
1: I think that as a regular human, I, suffer from most everything that everyone suffers from right so if there are times where i go through moments of self-doubt or sabotaging behavior procrastination is probably my favorite one um where i i love oh to yeah i'm the,
0: if you're the queen i'm the <laughs> king <laughs>
1: <laughs> Like i will avoid a bunch of stuff right now um and deal with it later and stress out about it um, no but you know yeah for for the most part i think that i've i've been sh- working really, really hard at living a more intuitive life of being more in touch with what I need and um, doing what feels best. So in the, in the moment, right. And not just saying, Oh yeah, chocolate feels the best right now. Does it feel good? Is it going to cause a migraine? I don't know if that's the best idea. So yeah. So some of it's on autopilot, there's other things that I think, Oh, gosh, why did I do that? And, and that's a moment to just sort of say, okay, okay, let's just take a step back and start again.
0: Right. And then I think the part, the self-sabotage part that can be problematic as well is that it can be kind of a vicious cycle is that say you fall off the rails and then you bemoan the fact that you fell off the rails and then you go back to like your comfort thing, whether it's comfort food or comfort negative behavior to then like kind of soothe yourself because you're in this negative space. And then all of a sudden you're chastising yourself again, and then around and around you go.
1: Yeah. And you know, what? I'll tell you something that a therapist said to me a long time ago. She said that these behaviors are like a friend with a heroin addiction. You can visit, but you can't go live there. And I thought, oh, interesting. So it, it is, it's something that maybe you say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that I know isn't really good for me right now. Right. But we, we don't stay in that spot. Get up. We're going to, there's no wagon to fall on or off of. Right. It's just a spectrum. So try it again. Just try it again. Be kind to yourself and try it again.
0: Right. And the one thing we haven't mentioned in this conversation is your running background. I mean, this is a run podcast. This is a rambling runner podcast. And we've been been talking for 40 minutes. We haven't (laughs) even touched on your running. Um, So you mentioned you're going to turn 41 in July. And this past April, as a 40-year-old, you ran a 341 marathon at Boston in the rain, in the wind. Uh, You qualified with a 335. But like you said, you were a late starter. So what about running kind of took it from, jogger to something you started taking much much more seriously
1: it's now or never that's how I started to feel about it and I thought uh who if not me why not me and so I said okay so when I was uh it was it was October of 2015 and I said to myself I'm going to give myself a year and I'm going to try to qualify for Boston so I dedicated 12 months of my life and I and you'd
0: already I, run it twice at that point as a, as a charity jogger, right?
1: As a ch- yep, I did. I, the first one was a, a DNF. And um, I will give you some background on that. So it was, uh, let's see now, maybe late February of 2006. And I got an email. And it was like one of these chains. And it said, oh, this doesn't happen anymore. But they had a, a bib. Charity had a bib. And they said they needed a runner for this bib. And so I said, having never run more than five miles ever in my life, I didn't have a Garmin. (laughs) I didn't even know how fast I was running. I said, I'll take it. (laughs) I did. Wow. You're uh, brave. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone around me said, you're crazy. You'll never finish that. And I, yeah, I didn't. Miles like 17.6. I think it was almost 18. I had them kind of just scan me out. It was back when there was a chip on your shoe, you know? And so uh, that was the end of it. And so I don't think I worked out for about six months. I thought, oh man, I really failed at this. This is not good. And so picked myself back up and thought, okay, I'm going to try this again. And so I did it again. I did it with a different charity. 2008, I finished it in 450. I felt really excited. My, my goal, my plan was to run a mile and then walk a minute. And I, I, that was the method of which I finished Boston that year in 2008. And then, um, I took like three years off of marathons, tried it again. And it took me a while to sort of kind of figure out what, where was I going with this? What am I doing? And also to figure out the diet stuff, because I kept gaining weight with every marathon. And, um, yeah, so I had a lot, there was a lot of stuff happening. Everyone
0: who's trained for marathon hunger that accompanies it.
1: Yeah. And then you kind of, you say, oh, well, I, I, you know, I ran four miles. Uh, Obviously I'm going to eat half a pizza, obviously.
0: That's and, just that's just self-care right there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's <laughs> just like running math obviously. So uh, you know, it wasn't really the best system um, but at the time I think that it was the it was what I thought was right, you know? And so um, and so uh, things changed and I learned more about myself and I learned more about what fuels me and, and you know on several different levels. And, uh, yeah, so I said, okay, let me, let me give this a shot. Let me see what I can do if I take myself seriously, if I invest in my goals and, um, you know, give myself some attention and and not, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, so that was what happened. So I ran a 335, um, at Bay state in October of 2016. And then I, I honestly, I took a shower and I went to my cousin's wedding, (laughs) like I had to go to a wedding like right away wait did went, you
0: like, did you dance
1: that night I did the entire night yeah I what? Actually, I yeah I drove home barefoot um because I threw my heels in my trunk and said all right that's fine and I that's very classy but that's a true statement and uh yeah I did I had like the best time and I my you know I I was uh I was really happy that day I had such a good time at the race and you know yeah, I, I didn't let myself look at the overall time until mile 26. And then I looked at the overall time, and it said 333 and some change. And I thought, oh, wow. okay, we're, we're doing this thing. We're going to go. So, you know, it was, I mean, it's an honor. It's an honor to be able to work hard. It's an honor to be able to pursue your goals. And, um, yeah, and, I, you know, I've obviously there's lots of things I want to do. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And so, you know, I had bigger goals for Boston, but I looked at the weather, and I said, oh, yoke. <laughs> I don't think this is happening today in the way that I thought it might. So I said, let's just adjust, right? You can only just adjust your sails in the wind. And I thought, well, I'm just going to try to run it really smart and not, you know, not pass anyone for six miles and sort of sort of do the best that I can with this, try to keep as steady as possible. That was the plan.
0: Right. And shoot, you still ran a 341, which is, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you don't, you know, it's one of those races where you don't want to like too positive or negative with anyone's finishing times because it was just such a, a crazy day. But the fact that you ran, you qualified with a three thirty five, and then ran a three forty one, given the conditions, is uh, it really is something special.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I was. I you know what I uh, I was happy to be there. Honestly, I didn't care what was coming out of the sky. Really, yeah.
0: And you were actually wearing the poncho for 26 miles. And <laughs> we're not on the... Until it was picture time.
1: Yeah, I wore it all the way to Hereford Street. I thought there would be a time, like, along the way that maybe I would toss it. And um, it, I didn't. I, I just kind of kept... Like, it, you know, it was a really funny day. I think a lot of runners sort of expressed this, that, like, time kind of stood still and moved quickly. At the same time, it was really bizarre. Really bizarre day. Uh, and I kept thinking, oh, I'll take it off at the next mile. And I, I never did. And, it, you know, I, I sounded like a baked potato out there because it's kind of this like mylar, like, uh, you know, like metallic poncho thing that I bought. And it was really loud. The rain was really loud on it. And I, I don't know why I didn't take it off. But I just thought at the end, oh, right, I definitely want a finish line picture. So let me take this off.
0: There you go. All right. So you you have a website. It's called heartandsoul.com, but soul spelled like soul your shoe. So S-O-L-E dot com. You know, health and wellness coaching. As you mentioned, you're R-R-C-A certified running coach. S-T-O-T-T, Pilates, mat instructor, holistic health coach, uh, a master's in education. Did you always know that you wanted to help people? Like When did you decide that you wanted this to be your career? And What's been your career journey like?
1: Yes. Um the audio is breaking up just a little bit. So I, I think I heard most of this. Um, it's just as a small disclaimer. Oh, that's okay. Um so I th- I think you're asking when I decided I was kind of shifting more towards more towards fitness. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um I think that it's a lot of this happened organically. And um I think that I started realizing that this is people were kind of asking for like running help I think once I sort of moved out of like kind of hobby jogging to like completing a marathon I noticed like new runners were sort of asking questions like people who hadn't run a marathon before because it it seemed like oh maybe you can help me because you know I I think I was a little bit approachable and that like I was kind of also new Um, so I think a lot of it happened that way and then um, I just realized that I really love Working with people who want to set goals and and measure things, right? Like get better, improve themselves. And um, I had sort of gone through a lot of my own healing, and yeah. And so a lot of this just sort of kind of happened, and then here we are.
0: Here we are. So, what's the best way for people to to follow you along your journey or to get in touch with you if they want to learn more? So
1: I uh, I kind of live on the gram. I'm at heart and soul. S O L E it's N the letter N uh, running and um, heart and soul running a N D.com is my website. Um, Nicole at heart and soul running is my email. So yeah, that's where I am. I'm in, I'm in Boston. um, And I coach at community running. So big shout out to community running. Um, I coach long distance track. Um, It's, it's really just like a total joy and these athletes are just amazing. And yeah, it's wonderful.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Nicole. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. You dived into my own stuff. Usually the podcast is much more about the other person. I, I kind of injected myself into this one and I appreciate you kind of bearing with me as I Oh, did it's so. my
1: pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it was, it was my pleasure too. And Thanks have a great too.
1: day.